God's Word. We're in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we're in chapter 5 now. So if you'll flip over your Bible to chapter 5 of Mark. You know, one of my favorite movies, and one of the movies that's kind of just always on whenever you turn on the TV in the middle of the day, not that I ever watch TV in the middle of the day, of course, but The Shawshank Redemption, uh, which is... Eric, you actually said it before I did. That was amazing. Wow. If you are like Eric and you watch the Shawshank Redemption all the time in the middle of the day when you're supposed to be working, you will remember one of the characters who has been in prison for all of his life. And at the end of his life, he gets released. And he gets released kind of out into the regular world. And his story is a sad one because he doesn't really know what to do with himself. He doesn't know how to handle being released from the prison, the bondage that he's been in his whole life. Uh, if you read stories of real prisoners being released, you actually hear some similar things. They oftentimes talk about it as one of the most fearful days in their lives. We would think that it would be some you know, exuberant joy, I've just been released from prison. But usually for guys who have been there at least three to five years or more, it's a very fearful day. It illustrates what we've said before, which is uh, a known dysfunction is oftentimes easier than an unknown function. It's scary sometimes to be released from bondage. Well, we're going to read a story about Jesus releasing a man from a sort of prison, from the bondage that he has been held under. And we're going to see not only how uh, we are to respond when we are released from bondage, but more clearly even who Jesus is in this passage. So let's turn our attention to Mark chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And the demon replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be able to come with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, 
Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this description that we see of Jesus as the bondage breaker. We pray that we would receive this, Lord, with open hearts and ears. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this story begins on a lake. Let me just give you a little bit of the setting here. Jesus has just actually done another miracle. We didn't, we haven't talked about this in our sermon series, but Jesus has just calmed the storm. He and his disciples have been out on the middle of a really big lake and a big storm has come up, so much so that they thought their boat was gonna sink. And Jesus has shown his power and his authority over the wind and the waves. And now they have kind of sailed to the other side of the sea. And they've landed in a different part of the country. Now we get some clues to what kind of country they're in. If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you start to recognize what kind of place this is. First of all, they're on the other side of the sea, Mark tells us. This is a place that's mostly Gentile country. And when I say Gentile, I just mean not Jewish. And we get a really good reinforcement of this when we learn that there are herds of pigs everywhere. Pigs, for Jews, would have been unclean animals. They wouldn't have kept pigs, they wouldn't eat them, they wouldn't tend them. So the people that would have been keeping pigs would not have been Jewish. And then we also hear these words talked about where this man who comes up to Jesus has been running around in the tombs. He's been running around the graveyard. Now, again, if you are Jewish, and if you are a pious Jew, and particularly if you are a rabbi like Jesus, if you're a teacher, there are some things that you would stay away from. One would be unclean animals. Two would be unclean areas like graveyards. Coming to contact with a dead body would actually make you ritually unclean. And then, of course, Mark tells us that this man has an unclean spirit. So we see where Jesus has landed is actually an unclean place. A place that most Jews would have just kind of stayed away from. And this is really helpful for us to recognize right off the bat, Jesus is going there. Jesus has gotten in a boat and sailed to the other side of the sea and landed in the place where nobody would go. This is not kind of the regular upper middle class church with nice stained glass windows. It's not even a regular upper middle class church in a school gym. Okay, This is kind of the land of the outcasts. That's where Jesus is. And in the land of the outcasts, Jesus actually meets the most outcast man in the land. The man that runs up and falls on, falls before Jesus' feet is possessed, Mark tells us, with a demon. And this man has been living in the tombs. Oftentimes in that time and place, the graveyards would have been outside of the cities and they would have been kind of carved out of rocks and in the hillside. And this man is not living in the city, in a house. He's not living with friends or family. He's cast out of the city and he's living outside it in a graveyard. And more than that, we're told that he is really running around like a wild animal. He's screaming. He, he's been chained by others. 
The people of the town have actually tried to chain him down and put shackles on him so that he won't hurt others or himself, but he's so strong that he breaks them. So nobody, even though they continuously try, can actually chain him down and keep him from hurting himself, which is what he's doing. Mark tells us he has been either throwing himself against the rocks of the tombs or cutting himself with rocks. The picture we have uh, is really of a wild animal. That's the image that you get that Mark is painting here. It's like a dog, a rabid dog on a chain. I have a scar here uh, on my face. When I was a kid, uh, I was walking down the sidewalk and this dog started barking behind the fence. It was an enormous 200-pound Cujo-like... Actually, I have no idea what kind of dog it was. Um, but I was scared. I was scared of this dog, and so I ran, and I tripped, and I busted my face. (laughs) The image that we get here is actually of a dog, an animal, a wild thing that is barking and howling and beating himself up and is chained and keeps breaking the chains. Okay, whatever, whatever mental picture you have of human flourishing, whatever that looks like in your mind, this is the opposite of it. Okay? I, I want to pause for us here for just a second to um, to just say this. You know, when we start talking about these kinds of situations and we read these stories in the Bible, I think it's really tempting for us to kind of check out and go, all right, demon possession, dudes running around in a graveyard, you know, naked, it looks like. Like, that just doesn't happen in our world. Pause for just a second and let's think about that. But before you kind of check out, let's just think about what happens in our world. The world that we live in uh, has eight, nine, ten-year-old girls getting sold into slavery. Okay, the world, the world that we live in has entire schools of elementary school children kidnapped and held, held for ransom. The world that we live in has people imprisoned for all of their lives or killed because of their faith. That's the world that we live in. It's all around us. If you turn on the news or open up your computer and read the news, you will find that these things happen. And honestly, if we bring it even closer to home, these kind of things happen in our own city. We we feel like we live a pretty sheltered life usually in New Braunfels. It's a great place. But did you know that there are a lot of people in New Braunfels who struggle deeply with mental illness and are treated oftentimes like this man? Just kind of cast out without any kind of treatment, without any kind of care. There are children in New Braunfels who do not have a home, who have no place to go and get a hot meal. There are people in New Braunfels who are deeply oppressed. And if I can, let's just even draw the circle in a little tighter on us here. Because even within our church... In a room this size, just simply the the numbers will say that there are people in this body who have suffered from physical or sexual or emotional abuse in their life. There are people who have depression or anxiety so deep that it is crippling, that it literally feels like chains around them and they can't move. That there are people in this group who have felt so tied to an addiction that it feels like they are in prison. That they are chained up and that there's nothing that they can do. And 
isn't it interesting when we usually feel chained, when we usually feel kind of like we are somehow fettered in some way that we turn to things like um, other addictions or alcohol or pornography or things that we feel like are going to make us feel really free. And of course they make us feel even more chained. Friends, if that's you this morning, let me just point out the, the main thing that I want you to know from this passage. And that is that Jesus releases people from bondage. This is what Jesus does. He releases people from bondage and restores them to humanity. Let's just spend a few minutes looking at, at, at the character of Jesus displayed here in three ways. His power, His authority, and His mercy. First of all, His power. What happens when Jesus comes and He meets this man? Well, the man, or the demon actually speaking through the man, says this. He says, Jesus, son of, he knows his name, Son of the Most High God, we beg you, don't torment us. Now that is an ironic thing to hear. This demon that had been literally tormenting this man, that's what he had been doing to this man, begs Jesus not to torment him. And then when he reveals his name, he says, My name is Legion. That name, if you look at word, if you look it up in Greek, it really just means kind of a great many or a great number. But there's actually deeper implication too in this time and place. Because the Roman army had a unit called a legion. You know, it's like a squadron or whatever it is, is a group of soldiers. And it was like six or seven thousand soldiers would be a legion of soldiers. So the implication here is that Jesus isn't just dealing with one demon or even a couple. He's dealing with an army of demons. And it's the army of demons who is deathly afraid. Who is begging Jesus not to torment them. Friends, that is power displayed. Related to that closely is Jesus' authority that's displayed here. Did you notice that when this man comes up to Jesus, Mark tells us he falls at his feet. It's not because he tripped. It's because he's kneeling. He is kneeling before the one that he knows is supreme authority. Even in the words that the demons use to Jesus, what have you to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They recognize exactly who Jesus is. I was reading a story the other day, an account of, for whatever reason, a baseball game. I don't know how I landed on this story. But a baseball game that was played in Cuba, and Fidel Castro was batting, and Hugo Chavez was pitching. Okay, so it was the Venezuelans and the Cubans playing in Cuba, like it was like this happy communist baseball game going on. And uh, in the midst of this, they're, they're recounting uh, Chavez pitching to Castro. And the, the, first, the first pitch that he throws like doesn't even make it to the plate, right? Okay, so there's a ball. Well, the, the next one actually comes right down the middle, and it's a strike. And it goes on like this for a little while until the count is full. Three balls, two strikes. What's going to happen next? And as Castro is lined up, the pitch comes right down the middle, and the umpire says, strike. And Castro says, ball. And he walks to first base. And everybody just kind of goes, play ball. That's an authority move right there. Nobody was going to tell Fidel Castro that he was out. That's kind of like what Jesus is doing here. It's interesting, all through the Gospels, we've already seen it, where whenever Jesus encounters uh, a demon, 
They all know exactly who He is and they recognize His authority immediately. Whenever Jesus encounters a demon, or Satan, by the way, there is never a question in the Gospels who's in charge. There is never a question who has the authority. It's always Jesus. Alright, let's look at the third element, because this is the most fun. It's Jesus' mercy that is on display here. When Jesus finds this man, remember how we described him, he's bound in chains... He's unclothed. He's wandering around outside the city, living, sleeping in the graveyard, and and not able to control himself, and he's cutting himself with stones. What do we see after Jesus heals him? After Jesus casts out these demons, what everybody has marveled at is, here is this man now sitting here, clothed and in his right mind. This is a person that we could have best described as an animal before, who Jesus has now restored to humanity. He has made him human again. The Bible says that human beings are made in the image of God. Sin mars, breaks that image, covers it in so many ways, smears it. And what Jesus does for this man is he restores the image of God to him. He is there as uh, an, uh, an illustration to everybody that this is what Jesus does. He unbinds chains and He restores human beings. Friends, I, I know some of you, if you are kind of a freedom-loving person, and I'm going to put myself in this category, oftentimes what we think is that coming to Jesus and making Him the center of our lives brings shackles. Uh, there's all this stuff i got to do now, and there's a new way I have to behave, and Jesus just kind of comes to my life to bring me rules and bring me things that are going to hold me down. This passage says exactly the opposite of that. Jesus actually does exactly the opposite. He comes actually to remove our chains. Sin is actually what chains us and shackles us. Jesus has come to renew our humanity. And of course, this is a miracle that points us even more clearly to what Jesus is going to do later on in the gospel on the cross. Where he would come and set aside his power, the power to cast out a legion of demons. He would set that aside. He would set aside his authority as the son of the most high God so that his mercy might be fully on display. So that he might come and show his mercy to those who are bound by sin. See, that's the way that the Bible actually talks about sin. If that's a new word to you, here's what it means. It's simply just living our lives for something that's other than God. The Bible says that we were created to live for and enjoy God. But we oftentimes live for things like our work, or things like our appearance, or things like the acceptance of others, or achievement, or any of these markers that we think are going to make us feel more human and more alive, and we make them the center of our lives, but they enslave us. The gospel brings freedom. Jesus restores us to true humanity. He enables us to be who we were made to be. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to being removed from bondage? Well, I mean, there's a few different options for us actually in this passage. You've got the demons who know who Jesus is. They know his power. They know his authority, but they actually refuse to follow it. We've seen that actually already in Mark's gospel about the Pharisees as well. We've got these religious skeptics who understand kind of, but they put up a wall and they refuse. And then we see the crowds. The crowds are fascinating here. 
They see Jesus' power on display. They see his authority. They even see the, the mercy that he has displayed. And when they look at this man who has now been restored to real humanity, he's clothed and in his right mind, they start calculating the risk. And what they come up with is, actually, maybe we'll take the side of the pigs. I mean, after all, we're losing money in this situation. Yeah, sure, there's a man who's been healed and restored, and that's incredible, but we're losing money. And what they do is, after calculating, they side not with the renewal of this man, but with the loss that they might receive. The known dysfunction is easier than the unknown function. The idols that oftentimes grip our hearts are easy for us to just continue with. Because really what Jesus wants to do is to set up shop in the middle of our lives and displace everything else. Now let's not pull any punches here. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life and in mine. Set up shop right in the middle and displace everything else that's in the middle. And that's kind of scary. These crowds realize that. And they decide, you know what Jesus, actually we'd just rather you leave. We're just fine with our pigs. Or we respond like this man did. And this is fascinating, isn't it? His life is transformed. His life is transformed such that he wants nothing else except to put Jesus at the center of his life. He wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And Jesus tells him something fascinating. He says, I want you to go home and just tell your friends. Jesus sends him out as a missionary, and his mission field are his friends. It's his home. He says, stay put and tell the world about the mercy of God and what he's done for you. It's exciting for us. In fact, our church is going to take a mission trip this summer. I want all of you to go. It's exciting to go somewhere and to feel like you are moving out and serving and proclaiming the good news. But do you know, most of the time, Jesus sends us on mission to our home, to our friends and our family. Let's just talk practically for just a second and then we'll close. How do we, how do we put this in place in our lives? Well, I think there's two questions that I love to end with. The first is this. Where are the places in our lives and in our city where we can actually follow the example of Jesus in restoring the image of God to people? Where are the places where we are seeing that image marred and broken that we might be a part of restoring the image of God to others, to see real and true humanity to see real human flourishing come about? Are there places where you could simply sit and help a young man learn how to read? Are there places where we can feed people and better yet, teach them how to feed themselves? Are there places where we can come alongside and serve so that we can simply see the true humanity of, of see their true humanity and the image of God displayed in them? Maybe it's as easy as looking a homeless person in the eyes. Or learning your friend's children's names and speaking them to them. Giving them dignity and worth. Where are those places in our lives? And then here's the second question. How might we follow the example of this man who was healed as ourselves, those who have been released from bondage, to simply go and tell our friends about it? To tell our friends of the mercy of God that has been shown to us. There's one easy step I think that we can take, and we saw it just a few weeks ago. Do you remember when we read the passage about Levi the tax collector? 
also called Matthew. And Jesus comes and he calls him and he converts him. And Levi, this tax collector, not only leaves his tax collecting, but the next thing he does that we see is he throws a dinner party. And he invites his work friends, his tax collector buddies, and he invites his church friends, his new church friends, Jesus and his disciples, and they come and they have dinner together. That sounds kind of radical, but it's pretty normal. Just introduce your friends to your friends. That's a great first step. Just have a meal and introduce somebody you don't know is in the church with somebody that is one of your church friends. And maybe you can start talking. And maybe the Lord will open doors to deeper conversation. And maybe the Lord will give you the opportunity to say, this is where my hope is. The Lord has had mercy on me. Isn't He wonderful? Let's pray that the Lord would enable us to do both of those things, not only this week, maybe even today. Pray with me now. Lord, we thank You for Your mercy displayed here, Your power, Your authority. It's good that we know who You are. And it's good that we know who we are as those who have been released from bondage. Lord, You have called us to proclaim Your name. You've called us to see the image of God even displayed in the people around us. Will You enable us to do that now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll spend a few minutes...